Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. John 14, I'll be continuing a little series that we've been doing about uh, the, the marks of a disciple. And I hope that this series is really helping you because it's really encouraging me to develop my life in, uh, even in a, in a greater dimension. This message series is about one thing, really, if you really think about it. It's about transformation. It's about us moving from, from where we are to where God wants us to be. God doesn't want us to just stay. When He finds you and He saves you, He doesn't leave you where He finds you. He wants you to continue to grow and to develop your spiritual life. That's God's purpose. That's God's, that's God's plan for your life. And so I've been preaching this message series in order for us to transform ourselves because we know there is a difference between just a believer uh, believing and making a decision and then following Jesus. That the, that the story that you have with, with Christ doesn't begin and end at an altar of decision where you say, ah, I'll take Jesus as my Savior. It continues on as you follow Him, as you walk out the door into life and you experience what He has for you throughout life. God wants you to advance in your spiritual life. Can someone say amen? He wants you to advance in your spiritual life in every season of your life. So regardless if you're a young person, or if you're a new convert, new, you've newly found Jesus in your life, or if you have served the Lord for as long as Sister Summers has, you're still supposed to grow in your spiritual faith in every season of life, whether it's a young season or an old season or whatever it might be. And so we've been talking about a true disciple. And there's three things that I've already mentioned. A true disciple has an incredible passion for Jesus passionately committed to jesus christ it's the old song we used to sing i have decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back how many of you remember that song i've decided it is a decision that's made and you don't go back and revisit that decision you see that's what i think a lot of people do is they make a decision for christ and when things start happening in their life that doesn't seem to work out they go back and revisit that decision chase that's not the way to do it we don't revisit that decision i have decided That's it. The decision has been made. No going back. We have crossed the river Rubicon. We have burned the ships in the harbor. We will not retreat. We have decided to follow Jesus. And that passion continues on throughout your life. And then you have an an uncommon love for other people. Just down the row right now, look at all these people. Look at how many varieties of people are in this room. Man, there's some incredible people in this room and you know what the lord says love them love them well pastor i'm not really fond of that person over there love them anyway Because to be a disciple, you have to have uncommon love. Common love is when you love people who loved you back. But uncommon love is the love of a disciple that says, I'm going to love you whether you love me back or not. Can I hear an amen? And then you have, we we talked about being a servant. A, A disciple has the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant. To serve other people, to serve the body of Christ in whatever capacity. Let me tell you what a heart of a servant does, and I've seen this happen in our church. I've seen a gentleman be walking down the aisle, and before he gets to the end of where he's going to sit, he sees a little piece of paper sitting on the floor, and he picks that piece of paper up. You know why? Because he doesn't feel like that's the janitor's responsibility. He doesn't feel like that's somebody else's response. This is the house of God and I want to take care of it. And he picks it up himself. That's the heart of a servant. Saying, you know what? I'm going to serve whether anybody recognizes me or not, whether it's a big deal or not. But I am wanting to serve the body of Christ. That's just a little example. But today I want to talk to you about probably, I believe, the most dynamic part of this transformative thing. And that is learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
The sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, I believe, is probably the most dynamic difference between a person who is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and a person who's just made a decision and said, yeah, I, I know Jesus, but I don't plan on listening and following the voice of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is the most transformative part of all the ten aspects because the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is the most dynamic thing that you can ever see as a Christian believer and as a follower of Jesus. Look in John chapter 14 with me. John chapter 14, Jesus explains something. And it really shows the difference between a believer who understands the Holy Spirit and a disciple who understands the Holy Spirit. Here's the difference. John 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, you will obey me. You'll obey what I command. Now that's, a, that's pretty dynamic in itself, right? The best way to know if you love Jesus is just to see if you obey Jesus. Well, what is he asking you to obey? Well, you could begin with the Ten Commandments. That's a good place to start. You know, honor your father and mother. Can I get an amen from the parents on that one? Don't lie, cheat, or steal. Right? Jesus takes it to another level in Matthew chapter 5. He says, hey, you know, you, you don't kill people, but you can hate them, and that's the same. You don't have to have an affair, but you can lust after someone else, and it's the same. What's he saying? He's saying, resist that. Obey my word. But he goes on, and here's the thing. He doesn't leave us to our own willpower. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus didn't say, if you love me, then you must obey me. And I hope you've got the guts and the sand in your pants to be able to follow me the rest of your life. Because it's going to take some guts. It's going to take some determination and some grit. Lots of grit. If you're going to serve Jesus. What's he say? Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father. You've committed to obey you. You love him. I'll ask the Father. And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit. And the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. That's why the Holy Spirit is so difficult to explain to people because they want to know only through the, the eyes or the handshake or whatever it might be. They want to know the Lord by just their own senses. But what the Scripture tells us is that the world cannot accept Him. But those who follow Jesus, they can accept Him. You know Him if you follow Him. Look at the last part. For He lives with you. And beyond that, He will be in you. Lord, I just pray You would take my words this morning, that You would use them, Lord God, as just a like a table, Lord, set before You. Lord, I pray that You would help me to spread the meal before our people today. Or that they might be able to eat and take away, Lord, from this word, Lord God, what they need in their hearts. Let your truth become clear and evident, Lord, to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. This was a radical statement that Jesus made. It was a radical statement because up until this point, the only way that you were going to hear from God is through two people, the priest and the prophet. All the way through to Jesus' time until He ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the way that people heard from God is they would have to go to the priest and the priest would either offer an offering for them or he would give them counsel. Or the uninvited guest, the prophet, would show up and he would deliver a message whether you liked it or not. Most of the prophets didn't have this encouraging word. They called people onto the carpet. And they told them, hey, this is what God is about to do, ready or not, like it or not, God is about to work. This is the word of the Lord. And the, so the people were stuck between these two, the priest and the prophet. But what Jesus does is he brings this reality to truth that the people, it was radical for them to hear that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God was not just going to rest in the tabernacle or in the temple, but the Spirit of God was going to be with all of you and he was going to not just be with you, but he was going to be and live in you. Radical statement. 
a radical thought that the Holy Spirit, that the revelation and the understanding of God would reside inside of a believer, a follower. That was an incredible, incredible statement. Because Jesus knew that he knew that the Spirit of God would become soon your best friend. If he lived with you, and was in you, he would become your best friend. Now, a lot of us have had best friends, or we have best friends. You like those best friends because they'll tell you the truth if you want to hear it or not, right? You enjoy being with them. You like being in their presence. They, they, you connect to them rather than other people on a different level. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. We connect to God on a different level. He tells us things that we need to hear regardless of whether we want to hear them or not. He guides us. He connects to us. He's always present with us. He becomes something uh, that a pregnant woman really understands. You say, what? Aubrey's standing up here. She bought her dress with that lump in it, by the way. She can tell you where to get it. She understands. If, you've had, if you're a lady and you've had a baby, you understand this principle. We've had three kids. And on every occasion, I was there in the room when Shannon gave birth to these babies. I'm standing there, you know, looking over the doctor's shoulders, you know, like I'm an umpire calling balls and strikes, you know. And the baby comes, and the doctor takes the child. My two kids are, I got two of them sitting up here, and they're embarrassed. They're, they're really ready. The baby, the baby comes, and I remember him placing Sydney and Sawyer and Seth right up onto the chest of Shannon, you know. And Shannon, she's all smiling, you know, and sweat's rolling off her face. And she looks at me and she goes, well, and I said, ten fingers, ten toes. We're good. And as they're laying there on her chest, there's something that's still connected to her. It's called the umbilical cord. There's a cord that connects that child to that mother. And for nine months, that has been the source and the strength of that entire child. The, the very nurturing of that child came from that cord. Everything that they received to grow and to become what they, what they were to be came from the connection that they had to Shannon. All of you moms that are out there, I can't say that I've experienced that. The only part that I got to do was to cut the cord. You know, in our spiritual life, the Holy Spirit is that connection. Jesus is the one who the source comes from, but the connection between Christ and us is the connection of the, the umbilical cord, is the connection of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that connects through, through Him. He, he points everything to Jesus, but it all flows through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And what has happened in too many people today is that we have become too individualized. We have minimized the connection, that connection. So if a church says, you know what, you must abide with Christ. And somewhere in this understanding, we have to try to figure out where does that connection occur? We abide with Christ. How do I do that in a practical way? Is that just reading the Bible and praying a few things? No, the practicality of how to abide with Christ, of staying connected to the vine, of being connected to the trunk, and to being connected to the root of Christ is through the connection of the Holy Spirit. And so we must understand the Holy Spirit so that we'll know how that connection to Christ flows toward our life. We've, we've minimized that connection. And the reason why we've done that is because there's something supernatural about the Holy Spirit's connection to us. He connects us in such a way that it transforms us so that we're not just normal anymore. You see, you manage, you manage things by putting them in small pieces so that you can recognize them and understand them. And that's exactly what the church has done to the Holy Spirit in the course of many, many years. Many different groups have tried to divide the Holy Spirit into a certain box of understanding and they have individualized, just like cutting the cord. They've cut that sort so that we can individualize and we can say in this, in this uh, frothy language, abide with Christ. Okay, well, what does that mean practically to me? If I'm explaining this, I'm explaining it to a 12-year-old. 
What does the 12-year-old do? Abide with Christ. Okay, how? We've managed to try to, to move the Holy Spirit into something that's very manageable and sizable. Let me tell you something. When you begin to minimize and to begin to manage God into a small, ex, uh, explainable, easy to understand, capable of controlling, then you have a God that's not God anymore. You don't have a God who's, 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 who's capable of doing something out of the box because you have put Him in a box. You've minimized God to the point to where you can explain everything He does and all that He's going to do. But can I tell you, friends, that God is greater than science and He's greater than a hypothesis. He's greater than a theory that some seminary professor has. He's greater even than a small explanation that a preacher can give you on a Sunday morning. God is bigger than all of those things. The work of the Holy Spirit supersedes our understanding because the Holy Spirit is not just some third figure, some off-the-hat kind of a guy that we talk about. He is God Himself. That's why you can't explain walking on water. You can't explain blind eyes being opened. And you can't explain limbs being, being healed. You can't explain the, the delivery of people who have just been oppressed and depressed by demonic spirits. But you can't, and you can't explain how the, how the presence of God frees them because He is God. And He does things that we can't understand. And that's the reason why, the number one reason why people struggle with the work of the Holy Spirit is because He cannot be completely explained away. He cannot be. He Himself is God, and you cannot give points and explain who God is any more than I could say, tell you up here, give me 30 minutes and I'll tell you everything that, I, that the Father is. It's exhausting. So what do you do? Well, let me quickly move through several things that the Bible does show us that we need to consider about the Holy Spirit. I like to use the Bible as our reference because that's where we find our revelation from God. The first thing that you need to see in the Scriptures is that Jesus recognized the vital importance of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Now that sounds so simple. But if we really believe that Jesus recognized this vital importance, why don't we recognize that same vital importance? When Jesus began His ministry, He began it after the Holy Spirit came upon Him. If you remember Jesus' baptism. Jesus went to the river. John the Baptist was there. Jesus came. He was baptized in water as He came up out of the water of the Jordan River. The Spirit of God, or the, the, the voice of God, rang out from heaven and says, This is my Son, whom I love, and in whom I am well pleased. You have Jesus standing in the water. You have the Father's voice speaking from heaven. And then all of a sudden, the Scripture says that there was the Spirit of the Lord came down upon Him in the form of a dove, like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It was like a dove. It looked like a dove. Have you ever gone dove hunting, you see how they kind of settle. They just, just settle upon. And the Spirit of God became, came down and He settled upon Jesus Himself. And at that moment, something happened. You say, well, I thought Jesus was fully God. Yes, He was also fully man. And His, his work on the, on the earth was not just... He wasn't going to do it say, I'm going to do all this on man's strength. He said, I'm going to do it the way that man has to do it, but I'm going to do it through the, through the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I have to live. Jesus did it our way. If you look in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, this is what the Scripture says. Luke says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say that. Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. After the Holy Spirit settled upon him was the sign that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled is play race. It's the, it's the Greek word play race, which means that it is a quantity of space that is completely occupied. When we talk about being full of the Spirit, that's what we're talking about. There is no more space to be taken up. You are completely full. 
And when you are completely full and you add one more drop, what happens? It overflows. You spill out. The capacity of your spiritual life has a limit. And as that limit is reached, what happens is it begins to overflow. And Jesus recognized this because he didn't begin his ministry until the Spirit was overflowing from his life. So it wasn't just Jesus using a few words and telling a few stories. It was the words that Jesus spoke that were anointed and touched by the Holy Spirit that entered to the hearts of everyone who heard, and it transformed their life. It took effect. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just preaching. It was effective because the Holy Spirit used those words to touch the hearts of men and women, children, overflowing. He was full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so after he faces down temptation, he launches his ministry. Luke 4, 18 says this, And the Spirit of the Lord, he said, is on me, full of the Holy Spirit, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recovery, the recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed. He has anointed me. He has assigned me a task. He has endued me with supernatural power. Jesus recognized the importance of the Holy Spirit's work. Here's the application for us. We have to also recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is vitally important. If you want God to do something great in your life, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Second thing that you just recognize is the Bible says that a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit means a greater understanding of God. It's very simple. John 14, 26 Jesus goes on from our scripture we read, the beginning, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He will not just teach you a few things. He'll teach you all things. You know what the Holy Spirit does in your life? He turns your life into a classroom. So that everything that you experience in your life, the good and the bad, the Holy Spirit teaches you who God is in all of those moments. I want you to think about this. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Everything that He is, He will remind you of everything that He has said. How many of you can remember everything Jesus has ever taught? Do you know the only way that you'll be reminded of those things that Jesus has spoken or said is through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The older I get, the less I remember. Certain things are stuck in my mind that I can't get rid of. Thank God for it. But there's some things that I just can't remember. <laughs> Thanks for the encouraging word there, Troy. <laughs> The Holy Spirit reminds us, but He also, the Scripture says, teaches us all things. Now think about this. Think about this. You have the one who set the world in order. He was there hovering over the waters of the beginning. Thousands and thousands of years ago, only the Discovery Channel and the History Channel, they tried to explain all that stuff, but the Holy Spirit was there. The eyewitness was there. The Holy Spirit is the eyewitness that the Discovery Channel and the History Channel all try to come up with these theories. The eyewitness is the Holy Spirit. He was there in the beginning. He's been through every course of history. He's been through every setting and every generation that's ever walked this earth. He, is, he knows all things. He knows not just yesterday, but He knows tomorrow. He knows what's coming down the road. He knows the politics and the geopolitical setup. He knows all of these things. And He is willing to be your teacher. The one who knows it all wants to teach you. What an opportunity for us, friends. He wants to teach us. How many of you would say, I want to be in that classroom? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The more you understand Him, the more you understand God and His will and His work, 
in this world. Thirdly, is the supernatural power of God is available to those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Let me speak to those who may not be familiarized with who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you grew up in a church who didn't teach a lot about the Holy Spirit. Or you've just made some assumptions in your own mind that, that you've gained over previous churches or teachings or watching videos online, God help you. But when you study the Bible, you find three things. And I want to just real quickly, I'm going to move through this real quick. You find three baptisms in the New Testament. You have the baptism into Christ, into the body of Christ. This is what we call salvation. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, the Paul writes, he says, For we were all baptized. It's that word, baptizo. We were, we were dunked. We were taken into completely. In one, by one spirit into one body. What body? That's the body of Christ. It be, you become a part of Christ. You are baptized into Christ. There's a second baptism the New Testament speaks of. It's the baptism in water. We have a tank right here. And that baptism in water, it doesn't have anything really to do with your salvation per se, but it does have everything to do with your testimony. It tells the world, I am not longer that person that used to be. I am the person who is today because of Jesus. That person is gone. It was buried in the water. But the person who was raised out of the water was raised to life in Christ. Jesus was baptized, and the Scripture says in Luke chapter 2, 3, verse 21, it says when all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. People were getting baptized because they made a confession to follow in repentance. But there was a third baptism that's spoken of in the New Testament, and it is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is not about salvation. It's not even about a testimony. This is about empowerment. It's about being empowered, being endued, being, being anointed. It's, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit coming into contact with your physical limitations and capacities and turning you into something that you could not do and be by yourself. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, verse 4, he says, And while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard him me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a third baptism there. We know that Jesus is speaking to all of his disciples, and I will probably assume, and you would too, that they had all been baptized in water by this point. So he's not talking about baptized, being baptized in water. He's talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. And you will receive power. Dunamis. It's the word we get the word dynamite from. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus makes this promise. There's another baptism that's coming. And then what happens? In Acts chapter 2, they go and they, they're praying in the upper room. And as they're praying and seeking the Lord, on the day of Pentecost, it was a feast, the Jewish feast, all of a sudden the shutters begin to flutter. And the wind begins to blow through that place. The wind of Spirit of God begins to whoosh, begin to flow through that place. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that all of a sudden that fire broke out in the room. Fire that they could see. If they couldn't see it, they wouldn't have called it fire. But there was just this fire that settled, this, this, this illumination, this this light, these, these lights begin to settle upon. The glow of God, the, 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 the fire of God begin to settle upon. And the Bible says that on each one of them, the Spirit of God began to settle upon their life. Just like as Jesus, the Spirit came in like a dove. This time He came in like fire. That's what I'm saying. You can't explain the way the Holy Spirit arrives. One moment He comes in like a dove, the next moment He comes in like a tornado and fire. We try to explain the Spirit of God away and we say, well, this is the only way He does it. No, He is God and He does. He comes how He wants to come. 
So the fire filled the room. And then all of a sudden, this is where people jump ship. And all of a sudden, people begin to speak in languages they did not learn. The Bible calls it tongues. The Greek is glossolalia. It's the word tongue. It's a language. They begin to communicate in a language they had not studied. This is where a lot of people jump ship. They're like, okay, you're one of those. Of course I am. It's in the Word of God. Why wouldn't I want to be? When I got my Bible, I didn't tear out the book of Acts and most of Paul's writings so that I could follow Jesus. I said, Lord, give me the whole Word and nothing but the whole Word. I'm not scared of what I don't understand because God's good and He loves me and He wants to have, give me the best of everything. And so these tongues, they fall upon and they begin to speak in these languages. And Peter steps up and he says, hey, wait, 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 wait. These people aren't drunk. That's what they thought. These drunken, these winos. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. These drunkos are speaking in crazy, they're babbling. No, 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 Peter says, no, wait, listen. This is, we're not all drunk. This has nothing to do with being controlled by a substance, an alcohol. This has to do with the pouring out, not of, of alcohol, but the pouring out of God's Spirit upon people. That the prophet Joel, if you would have read his word, he said that in the last days I will pour my Spirit out upon all flesh. Young people, old people, daughters, sons, everybody. There is no... There is no prerequisite to coming to God except uh, to receiving this baptism except knowing Jesus as your Savior. And from that day on, the Christian church was more than just a gathering believers who tried to remember all that Jesus had taught. You can't remember them. You're, I don't know of anybody in the room who can quote the New Testament. But let me tell you who can. And the Holy Spirit comes that day and He changes the, the Christian church from a church who's just a group of believers into an army of Spirit-empowered, supernaturally, Holy Ghost-inspired disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why the supernatural power of God is available to those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Fourth, let me just move on and move them quickly. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, increases our intimacy with God, or you could say our potential. When you become baptized or filled to overflowing, let me just, let me just say this on these two words, filled and baptized. When you are filled, you're overflowing. When you're baptized, you're under, okay? Are you baptized when you're up to your waist? Are you baptized when you're up to your neck? How do you know when you're baptized? When you're under. It's the same difference, just two different ways of looking at it. Either you're flowing out or you're completely under. But either way, it's completely done. There's no extra space. So he says that they were baptized. When Jesus, when, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it increases your intimacy, your potential with God. You become a Jesus man, a Jesus woman. You're anointed to go and to do good. And you're empowered to do so. Look at John 14, 12. He says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. That means what Jesus did and everything that he did, he wants you to go do exactly that. Well, Pastor, I can't, I can't pray for the sick. I can't. I mean, I, I can't bring people to, to, to the Lord. I'm not gifted like that. That's not my personality, but you can do it according to the Word of God. As a matter of fact, he takes it to another level. He says, He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. How is it possible for us to, to, to fulfill this verse of Scripture? It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. 
only through the power of the Holy Spirit. That sensitivity comes in the form of what I call the nudge. I've seen that while I've been preaching sometimes. When I talk about husbands and wives, and I really get on a little sticker point, kind of like a little sticker underneath the saddle blanket. And I've seen that wife do this. I'm not going to call names, but I know you know who you are. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. We live by the nudge. By the nudge. When the Lord wants to say something to us, it's just... He doesn't usually get in our face and tell us like that. It's just a nudge. You hear that? You hear that? We live by the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Where does that come from? Where does it come from? It comes from inside of us. Because He's with us and He lives in us and so He nudges us. And that's what it means when the Spirit of God begins to nudge you. That's why when you try to go and you, and you do something that you know is not what God desires for your life, you feel it. Yeah, but I really want... That's the nudge. He's not in your face. Would you please don't do that? He's, hey, hey, mm-mm, Now, he may get a little bit stronger. Uh-uh. I mean, some of you are pretty hard-headed, you know? I mean, like, come on. Come on, thick skull. Let's go. Some of you wives are agreeing, amen, amen. That's an amen thing. When I was young, when I was just a boy, I wanted to be all that God wanted me to be. I was privileged to be raised in a preacher's home, and I had great men and women of God that would come through our church. One of the, one of the greatest opportunities that, that, honestly, that I've had in my life is being around some incredibly powerful and godly people. Sitting at the table with missionaries that are in the halls of fame. If not in earth, they will be in heaven. Sitting around with evangelists, great men of God. I remember having multiple dinners and occasions as a boy with R.W. Schambach. Anybody know who that is? Sitting, listening to that man. I was scared to even eat my lunch. I was scared, you know, if he even called me out, do something like it was just incredible. Just being around men of God. And as a young boy, I said, God, I want to be just like these people. I want to be like them. I want you to work in my life in the same way. And as I was praying that prayer, I said, God, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be just exactly what you want me to be. I want to be filled with your power. One night in a Sunday service, Sunday night service, as I was just kneeling, seeking more of the Lord, all of a sudden, I'll never forget it. Mom was on this side. She was playing the organ, and I was at a little altar right there, right not too far from her. We had an evangelist that was there. And I was just praying in the altar. And as I began to pray that prayer, Lord, I want, I want you to just use me. I want you to make me more of, of what, you, what, you, what the potential that there is in my life. Lord, I want you to exhaust that potential. All of a sudden, as I'm praying that prayer, a new language began to come out of my mouth. I was scared at first. I didn't know what I was saying. Now, I had heard people do this before. I mean, I was raised in a spirit-filled church, so it wasn't strange to me, but it had never happened before. As I'm sitting there just seeking the more of the Lord, all of a sudden, I begin to pray in a way that I did not understand here. But I certainly understood what was going on here. And that began to flow out of me for minutes. And then more minutes. And I think I spent about a half an hour sitting at that altar, 
just praying to God in a language that I didn't know. And it was so charging. What I didn't realize is 1 Corinthians 14 says, when you speak or you pray in a tongue, you edify yourself. What I didn't realize God was doing was he was, the Holy Spirit was praying through me. That umbilical cord was attached, and I was directly connected. It was the red line to the main office in heaven. And I was connected. And what was happening is it wasn't a one-way call. I wasn't just praying in the Spirit so God could hear me declare the wonderful work, His wonderful words, as in Acts chapter 2. The line had another direction. It was flowing toward me. And the Spirit of God was edifying myself. I was growing without me knowing. That's pretty good. Write that down. Growing without me knowing. That's pretty good. When you pray in the Spirit, you grow without knowing it because you are edifying yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us that. I found myself from that day on being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I found myself being more used by God. More divine appointments begin to occur in my life. I'd walk into a situation where someone needed me to talk to them about Jesus and they were open to it. And I had the guts to do it. I walked into situations where somebody needed prayer. And I'm talking about, I was young. I was just a boy in elementary school where people would need prayer. Kids that I knew on the playground wanted prayer or needed prayer. They needed prayer. And I would pray for them right there on the school playground. Talk about courage I didn't have. It was the Holy Spirit that, would, that came over me. And that's the same church. That's the kind of church that this is. Friends, I don't apologize for Journey Fellowship being a church that is Spirit-filled. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the work and the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's scriptural. We believe in the supernatural power of God. Here's the reason why. I've seen God too, do too many things for me not to believe it. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. I've seen lame people walk. I've seen masses fall off of people's necks. I've seen dead men raised from the, back to life. I have seen it, so I am completely ruined. It's too late for me to believe that we don't have a supernatural God that through the work of the Holy Spirit can do anything. It's too late for me. Maybe you're still struggling with that. I just know that's, that stuff is unexplained. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. Exactly. He's God. Man, that's an easy explanation. He's God. That increases your spiritual authority. When you're filled with the Spirit, it increases your spiritual authority. This wasn't in your notes, but I'll just tell you something. We are in a spiritual war now, I believe, more than any other time. In my life, you feel it when you wake up. You're in a battle. And you, you, can't wonder, you, you can't figure out if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus. You wake up and you just have feelings that you shouldn't have. I'm not talking about bad feelings. I'm talking about a challenging feelings. The reason why is because there is an elevated presence of demonic forces coming against you in these days. We live in the last, not just the last days, but the last hours or the last minutes of the last days. We are being faced by demonic opposition on every front in your life. From your family, to your kids, to your personal lives, to your careers, to, to whatever it might be in our nation. There is a spiritual battle engaging right now as we sit in this church to overrun our, our nation. You can either run out on that battlefield with a Nerf gun or you can walk out on that battlefield with a ballistic missile in a tank. You see, a believer is content to allow the spirits of darkness and demonic influence to win the day. They just, these are the believers. They get repeated into this cycle they just can't get free of over and over and again. They just keep saying, oh man, I wish I could get free of this. I want to follow Jesus. I wish I could get free of this. That's what a believer does. They just they lose the battle. They lose on a daily basis. But you know what a disciple does? A disciple knows that the Lord wants us to take the fight to the enemy instead of getting rolled all the time. And to cast out the devils that seek to destroy us and our lives and our families, 
to stand against the spiritual opposition and to live free from bondages and from addictions that hold God's people back. That's the spiritual power that there is. It's the spiritual authority. So those are what the Bible says. And I'm going to wrap up in the next five minutes with just three practical things that a disciple, the Holy Spirit works in the life of a disciple. First of all, is he reveals the will of God. It's the number one question people ask when they come to know the Lord. I want to know what's God's will for my life. The best way to know God's will for your life is to let the Holy Spirit fill you full so that there's no room for any other question. When I was finishing high school, I've told this story before, I had already made plans preparing for the University of Oklahoma to go to medical school, whole nine yards. That was my plan. I was already enrolled, had all these connections that already visited with all of the big wigs and big shots up there. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a church service on a Sunday night. And He changed my life and the course and the direction of my life. And I understood what God's will was. You see, the difference between a believer and a disciple is that a believer will say, God, I've made a choice. I've made a decision. Now I'm asking you to bless this decision. And if I get myself into a tight spot or if I find myself in the weeds, Lord, would you bail me out because I made this decision? But what a disciple does as a disciple says, Lord, what is your will? Help me to submit to your will. And the Holy Spirit reveals God's will to us and also assists us into fulfilling that will in our life. That's not always easy. To say that I got up and I was just, it was a piece of cake. I wrestled with the Lord. And whenever you wrestle with the Lord, you do end up with a limp. You know that somebody's been with God when they walk around with a limp. It may not be physical on the outside, but you can tell it by their life on the inside. The Holy Spirit reveals to us His will. Now, God didn't show me everything that was in store for me. He didn't show me that I'd come to, come to Denton, Texas and plant a church. He didn't teach me that. You know why? Because I did not have the capacity at that moment to understand all that God has for me. God never will take will God will never show you everything you want him to show you as far as his will for your life because you usually don't have the capacity to hold it. So what happened is I had to be continually edifying myself. Remember I told you in every spiritual life there is a limit to how much you can hold. Here's the thing. The longer that you allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life, the more edifying you become, you expand the container. Now, some of you are going to expand the container at lunch today, but that's not what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. I'm talking about you expand your spiritual potential. Your sp spiritual capacity grows because you edify yourself through the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly is the Holy Spirit's the voice of God. John chapter 10, he says that this, he brought us out. He knows, he calls his sheep. They follow him because they know his voice and they will never follow a stranger. There's, it's possible to be a God-fearer, but not a God-hearer. Can somebody say amen? There's a lot of voices that are out there that are strangers. Strange voices that call to our hearts. There's strange voices that have spoken into your life. Some of you, it's been your parents. They may, they may have meant well, but they're not God. They may not have even known God, and they spoke things over your life. They told you that you wouldn't amount to anything or that you weren't worth much or you'll never be anything in life. That's the voice of a stranger. That's not what the sheep listen to. They listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's voices that speak to us that maybe not be family, but it might be friends. When I was in junior high, when you're 14 years old, it's amazing how your friends are smarter than your own parents, right? 
You listen to your friends, and they tell you things. Let me tell you something. Most of the time, that's the voice of a stranger. The voice of a stranger is that education, that, that college class that uses human reasoning to, to try to wipe away the power of God. <coughs> it's the culture. The voice of a stranger is the voice that our culture preaches to us. That sex outside of a marriage is no big deal. That, that same sex is, is just normal. There is a normalizing of, of those things that God calls sin. You can see it on a commercial, Shannon. We were watching TV yesterday and we see this commercial. And the whole commercial is filled with the normalization of homosexuality. You can see it. They're selling, a, they're selling like a, a, a drug or something. And she was like, do you see this commercial? I said, yeah. Because that's just normal. That is the voice, my friends, of a stranger. That's not the voice of a shepherd. The voice of circumstances in your life. You'll hear that voice that'll say, oh, God's forsaken you. He doesn't care about you. See, I told you that that wasn't, that wasn't going to work. You have financial voices that'll speak and say, just go, after the, just go after the goods. Just be materialistic. The voice of the enemy will come to you and he will tell you that, you, that, that your marriage is not worth holding on to. That's the voice of a stranger. He'll say, you know what? God wants you to be happy and you can't be happy in this relationship. You need to get out of it. Find somebody that makes you happy. That's the voice of a stranger, not the shepherd. Holy Spirit is the voice of God. And He is the power of God. Daniel, would you come? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, Look, I didn't come to you with a bunch of words. I didn't come to you with persuasive words and wise sayings. I came to you with the power of God. He says, with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. There's a lot of persuasive words in our world today that every disciple needs to be wary of. Human wisdom that's propagated from the pulpits all over our country. It's pop psychology with three points, with a spiritual spin, but it has no power to affect change in a person's life. That only occurs through the power of God. We're conditioned to explain away the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, but as a disciple, we must become more and more sensitive to the, war, to the voice and the nudge of the Holy Spirit. The question is not if there's a powerful anointing and baptism of the Holy Spirit. The question is, is will you believe it for yourself? <clears throat> That's the real question. In the New Testament, there are two ways which people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One is through the laying on of hands. That occurred when the disciples went to the house of Cornelius. That, that happened. But there's a second way people receive the baptism, and that is by waiting and praying. And you see that in Acts chapter 2. So either way, the, the one requirement of both of those methods of baptism is that a follower of Jesus just needs to have hunger and thirst. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 6. He says, those who hunger and thirst shall be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness you're going to receive a filling that's going to overflow in your life. A disciple is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'd like for you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want to pray with you. Many of you have heard me this morning, <clears throat> and you're at a stalemate in your spiritual life. You really are. You may have been there for a while, but you've, you've finally come to the realization I've not grown very much recently. It may be because your capacity to grow has not grown. You don't have the capacity to grow. And so what you need is you need the Holy Spirit to come in to fill every part of your life. Not holding things back. Not saying, Lord, I'll give you this, but I won't give you that. 
You have to say, Lord, I'll give you everything. I want you to take me, baptize me, fill me, overflow me. And he will transform you in your your life with Christ from just being a believer, a mere decision maker, to a follower that is anointed and used by the power of God to affect lives. I want to pray with you this morning. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I want to increase my capacity. I am a spirit-filled believer. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want the Lord to increase my capacity. So as He fills my life, I want another filling. I want to keep I want to keep just being filled until my capacity continues to grow. If you're here this morning and that identifies you, would you just raise your hand this morning? Yeah, all over the room. All over the room. I want my capacity to grow. If you're here this morning and you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've not experienced this incredible prayer language that Paul says in Romans 8.26 that when we don't know what to pray, he prays for us in groanings that cannot be understood. Paul even made the statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, I speak in tongues more than you all. I, I speak in these languages that I don't understand more than anybody. Not to be seen, but to expand my capacity. If you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how many of you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me that I would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not on my terms, but on God's terms. I want to receive this gift, this baptism. If you're here this morning with all our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Yes, 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 several hands. Yes, hands all over the room. Yes, yes, hands all over the room. Let me tell you, friends, the Lord will begin to flow His Spirit toward any vessel that is willing to receive. Don't make assumptions of how it's going to work. All you have to do is just yield to the nudge. And as He nudges you, you may be just like me. You were praying one time just say, Lord, I want more, I want more, I want to be like that, I want you to use me, and all of a sudden your words transform into something that you, you just, and you don't stop, you just keep going. I paused for a moment, I remember it, I, I paused, I was like, what is this? And I just kept on moving, the Lord began to teach me. And I want to pray for you right now, for everyone who raised their hands today. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord, that we have felt this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you just begin to lead us in, in ways that, Lord, we can't explain. Would you begin to just flow toward the directions of hunger and thirst, Lord, for those people who want to know you, Lord, in a deeper way, Lord, for those who want to experience your anointing and your baptism and your your fire, Lord. I, I pray that, Lord, for those who raise their hands to receive, may they open up their hearts and their minds, Lord, to you. May they, Lord, be filled to overflowing and overflow upon them, Lord God, so that their life becomes dynamic, their spiritual life becomes, Lord, more than just a routine. But it becomes fiery, Lord. It becomes, Lord, intense and intimate, Lord, in such a way they've never experienced before. I pray, oh God, for those, Lord God, who have been filled, Lord. I pray, God, for greater capacity. We need men and women in this day, Lord, who are expanding, Lord God, the capacity, Lord, for the potential of heaven to flow through them. Lord, increase the diameter, Lord, of that cord, Lord that connects them to Christ so that they may be blessings and resources, Lord, that flow through them, Lord, to touch the world around them, O God. Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for hungry hearts. That's the first step, Lord, to a great outpouring of your Spirit.
Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.